Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to see everyone here. Can't see you online, but so glad you're here also. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Spring Church. So I want to get things kicked off like this this morning. How many of you guys have ever been thrust or put into a role or a position in which you didn't really know how to act? Anybody been there? Like you, you kind of got put into a role where you're like, I'm not sure how I should act in this role. Let me give you an example here to set us up this morning. So many of you may remember this. When you were first called Mr. or Mrs., I remember when I was a teenager, right? And I remember a little kid called me Mr., and I had to take a double look, and I'm like, who's this kid talking to? Like, he's not talking to me, right? Like, I'm, I'm a kid like him. I'm just a little taller, right? Anybody, anybody, excuse me, anybody remember what that felt like when you were first called a Mr. or Mrs. by a, by a kid? But then I remember that feeling afterwards of thinking, well, this kid actually thinks that I'm an adult. So I've got to act like an adult. But how does an adult act, right? I didn't know what to do next. I felt so confused and lost. I had a similar feeling when we first started Life Spring Church. I was appointed as one of the pastors, and I wasn't a pastor before. And I remember the first time someone called me Pastor Mark. And I remember thinking, I wonder how I should act now that I'm a pastor. Do I need to act differently? Like, do I need to start wearing a three-piece suit every day and start to use words like thus and thou? In everyday language, like how do I act as a pastor, right? I remember going through this in my mind, but I think all of us have been in different roles in our life where we've had to wrestle with how do I act now that this is true of me. Now, here's what I know to be true about being a Christian. Many of us have been through this same thing when it comes to being a Christian, right? Whenever you said yes to Jesus, you then begin to wonder, well, what's next? Like, am I supposed to act differently? Like, do I need to dress differently? Do I need to speak differently, right? How many of us have been there? Like, we, we know what that's like, and a lot of us didn't really know what the answer of that was, right? Maybe you copied someone else, you tried to live your life like them, but you left feeling confused. Now, we're in the middle of a series called We Believe, right? We're in week three. Week one, we talked about this idea that we believe as a church that the words of God are recorded in the Bible, Okay? It's the foundation of who we are as a church. Without the Bible, this church would not exist. Everything that we believe is based on what God has said to be true in the Scriptures. God says in his word that the words of God are literally breathed by God. So we believe it is the foundation for everything we believe. Last week, we talked about this idea that through the Bible, God has revealed to us his plan of salvation. And his plan of salvation isn't just something we make up. No, it's actually one way through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That if we want to have eternal life with God, it's possible. By the grace of God, it's possible. But it's only through faith alone and Jesus alone that we can be saved. So we're journeying through this series because we want us as a church and those of, uh, those of you who are considering being, being a part of this church to understand what it is that we believe because it really is the bedrock of who we are as a church. Now, many of us, though, are still a little bit confused about what it means to be a Christian. So I want to address that this morning. How are we to act, so to speak? Now, I've been walking with Jesus steady for roughly about 20 years. And the one thing that I've noticed about those who have given their life to Jesus over the years, whether they've been baptized or walked the aisle or whatever it may have been, is that, unfortunately, this is a sad truth, but it is true, that many step into this new decision, if you will, 
Maybe for a day it's exciting, or maybe for a few days it's exciting, maybe for a few weeks it's exciting, but then once the excitement wears off, you don't know what to do next. So you're left thinking, like, how am I supposed to act now? And what ends up happening is your life drifts back into this pattern of living that looks exactly the same as before you said yes to Jesus. And so from the outside looking in, no one even really knows that something happened in your heart. You with me? Because we start to put on this pretend mode, and then next thing we know, we drift back into our old way of living. But when Jesus calls us into a relationship with himself, listen here, he calls us into a new life, church. He gives you new life. And so today I want to talk about what it looks like to walk in this new life. This seems like a random statistic, but follow me here. Did you know, and this is study after study over the last 20 years has shown this, but did you know that over half of all inmates that are released from prison return back to prison within five years? Over half. Here's what I'm getting at. Just because you've been given freedom doesn't necessarily mean you know how to walk in freedom. You with me? Spiritually, I found this to be true also. You see, Jesus, when he sets us free, he is setting us free from so much. But many of us, like a dog returning to his vomit, just returns right back to the old way of living. And it sounds gross. It sounds crazy. It sounds dumb, doesn't it? But by default, we're all guilty of it if we don't walk in God's power. In fact, much of the New Testament is warning us about doing this. Over and over again, we're warned not to return to our life of sin. In fact, the book of Romans, which we're going to be reading from this morning, talks a lot about this. Romans 1 through 5 talks about how someone can receive salvation because apart from God's work on the cross... Salvation is not possible for any of us. That's what that song right there is all about. All we can sing is a hallelujah, guys. If you understand Romans 1 through 5, you'll sing that song in a whole new light. Because without God intervening, stepping onto this earth as a man, dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, and offering us salvation, man, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. But this is what Romans 1 through 5 is all about, is about positionally stepping into a new life, becoming a son or daughter of God and being made new, receiving his salvation. But then in Romans chapter 6, we see a transition happen slightly. He begins to talk a lot about these tensions that happen or this war inside of us as Christians, this war to live for ourselves, to live for our flesh, to live for sin instead of living for God, to live as if there are certain standards that we have to uphold in order to earn the righteousness that God offers. And he begins to talk about this tension. And so I want to talk about that this morning. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 8 in just a moment. But to set the table for Romans chapter 8, I want us to read and just listen to Romans chapter 6. So if you want to read along, you can. But I'm going to actually invite my friend Dana up to the stage. And Dana is going to read for us Romans chapter 6. And I just want this to soak into you guys, okay? So just listen. If you want to read along, you can. But just just listen to these words as Dana reads them. Thanks, Dana. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in that order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this into death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe. We believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. He, got, he died to sin. Once for all, I'm going to say that again. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Amen. When we step into a new life, new life with Jesus, in fact, the scriptures call it new creation, new life, new birth, you've been born again. There's a new principle or new driving force inside of us, and that is the Holy Spirit. And each of us have the choice because God has given us freedom to choose to walk in that freedom or to, or to submit ourselves back to bondage or slavery, as the scriptures call it. Slavery, that is sin, trying to abide the law with everything inside of us as if we can earn God's righteousness. Romans 7 follows up Romans 6 saying, hey, look, I've tried to live the best life I can live. I've tried to live by all God's laws. I can't do it. I can't do it. So God tells us there is a freedom that he has called us to walk in. But if we choose to walk back in our life of sin, we are choosing to walk back into slavery. And this isn't honoring to God. 
And it certainly isn't you living your best life, as people like to say today, because you're walking in a path that God has not designed you to walk in. You see, over and over again, Jesus, when he stepped on the earth, he said he came to usher in a new kingdom. And this new kingdom will look far different than the kingdom you came from. This kingdom would be a kingdom where you would walk freely with God because you have been saved by his grace. And when you walk in this kingdom, he calls you to walk as a holy one, not trying to earn the righteousness of God, but rather walking in the righteousness that he has already provided. This is the most freeing life you could ever live. It's a difference between the position that God has given you when he calls you a son or daughter of God and then living out that position, if that makes sense. Let me give you an illustration that might help that. My wife and I, we like watching uh, shows at nighttime, like to stream shows and try to veg out a little bit and relax before bedtime. And we've been watching a show recently, and in one of the particular episodes, the president of the United States, the actor in this, in this show, was, was killed. And so the vice president had to be, you know, um, I guess appointed as the new president. So positionally, the vice president is now the president. You with me? But this new president, he suffers from severe self-confidence issues. He doesn't have any kind of confidence in his leadership capabilities whatsoever. And so when he steps into this role, he begins just to be very, very foolish. Like he, he makes terrible decisions. He even shuts down, doesn't make decisions at all. And so what he ends up doing is he ends up giving away his responsibility to his cabinet and other leaders to help make the decisions for him. What's the difference? He is still the president, right? Positionally, he is the president, but is he acting like it? No. Practice, in practice, he's not acting like the president, even though he still has the position of being president, or president, yes. So, just because we've been given a title, the child of God, the son of God, daughter of the king, right, doesn't necessarily mean that we are walking and practicing what he has called us to. You with me? There's a difference between our position and how we live. So I want to contrast that because how we live is very important to the Lord. Because how we live shows God that we are truly His, right? It shows the world that we are truly His. When people look at us, they should see something different. But living as a Christian isn't easy, right? The battle is fierce, as Romans 6 just said, and Romans 7 follows that up. There's this internal pull, or as the scriptures call it, our flesh that pulls us away from God every second of every day. It wants to pull us away from walking with God faithfully and honoring him with our lives. Can I tell you something, though? We're going to read about this flesh here in just a moment, but many of us, when we hear the word flesh in church world, we think of like these really bad sins, right? Like the really bad stuff that no one should know about. But flesh means so much more than just that. That certainly is a part of it. John Piper defines flesh like this, and I mean, I completely agree with this definition. He said, flesh is any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit and without glorying in, exalting in, trusting, treasuring, and valuing Jesus Christ. Yes, it might be as gross as rape or child abuse, but it also could be as moral as trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Self-reliant commandment-keeping and child abuse would both be flesh because they're not flowing from dependence on the Holy Spirit, and they're not glorying in Christ Jesus. See, flesh isn't just those things that we consider dark and dirty, right? It could be as 
righteous is us trying to fulfill the law of God when we know we can't. You with me? It's a reliance on ourself instead of a reliance on God. See, God, when he calls us into a relationship with him, he don't just call us to receive his forgiveness. He calls us into a relationship where we fully depend on him with every aspect of our life, every single little aspect of our life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So this sets the tee up for Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading from there this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you want to flip there, you can pull it up on your phone. We're going to be putting it on the screen also. But here's our main takeaway this morning. So if you're going to take notes, write this down. We're going to unpack this the rest of our time together. Last week, we pointed this out. Just as Jesus is the only way to reach salvation, that's what we talked about last week. Here's what we're talking about this week. The Holy Spirit is the only way to walk in that salvation. Just as Jesus is the only way to reach salvation, the Holy Spirit is the only way to walk in that salvation. Let's read from chapter 8, verse 1, please. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's return to our position versus practice conversation just for a second. You see, the struggle to walk with Jesus and free from sin is made exponentially more difficult for most of us because we're wavering in our position as Christ's followers. There's no confidence inside of you that you truly are saved. And so when it comes to fully depending on God, you don't even know if you're saved. So it's going to be very difficult to walk every single day trusting that his spirit is going to guide you. With me? So first of all, Paul, in this very first verse of Romans 8, by the way, probably one of the most important passages, verses for you to get in the whole Bible. For there is no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Not for those who act right or live morally or who you know, put on a good show for everyone. No, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You see, Romans 1 through 4 tells us that we have a debt that we can't pay back to God. Every one of us has sinned against God, and we haven't just sinned once, guys. We've sinned over and over and over again against the holy God. And the only way that we can receive his forgiveness is by Jesus paying that debt for us. When he died on the cross, he was paying your debt in full when you receive him. You with me? But many of us live like there's still a debt that we owe God. I got to walk a certain way. I got to live a certain way. Don't get me wrong. God wants you to live a certain way. You with me? But it's not in order to earn his righteousness. If you're living trying to earn God's righteousness, you're missing the gospel. The gospel says you are so far from righteousness, you will never get there on your own. Your, right, your most righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. That's what the Bible says. So if we're trying to earn his favor, then we're missing the point of it all. God says, no, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your debt has been paid in full. And unless you get that, listen, church, unless you get that, you'll never walk in the power of a spirit. Because every day, guess what you're trying to do? Live better. Live better. Do better. Do better. Because you're trying to earn the righteousness of God. And Jesus says, listen, you've received that freely when you said yes to me. Now walk like it. You with me? There's a big difference between how we act and what our position is. Let me give you an example here that I think may be helpful. Actually, let's, leave verse, let's read verse 3 first. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, 
God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Hopefully enjoy my manly cup here. Thank you, Kara. Maybe you didn't know this or maybe you keep forgetting, but you can't live up to God's standards on your own. So there was a debt to be paid and Jesus paid it in full. It would be similar to... Let's say you and I were standing together on a sidewalk one day, hanging out, talking, whatever. And let's say a, a, a debt collector came up to you and said, hey, man, you haven't paid your car payment in the last three months. So either you pay up or I'm taking this car with me, okay? Now, let's say, hey, let's say I do this. Hey, let's, let's let him off on this one. I'm going to pay his last three months car payment for him, take care of it, so you don't have to worry with collecting the money from him, Certainly don't repossess this car. I've got them. I'll pay your three months. But then before the debt collector leaves, I say, you know what? Let me just go ahead and pay off the whole car for this guy, right? So first of all, you'd hug and kiss me, right? You'd be happy. But secondly, let's say this. Let's say this debt collector came back a week later. We're still hanging out at the same spot. And he says, hey, man, you never paid me this month for my car. What do you think you're going to say? Are you going to say, oh, man, let me, let me, I got I ain't got no cash on me today. Let me, let me see if I can get it together. I'll pay you next week. Is that good? You're not going to say that, right? No, you're going to look at me, and you're going to say, no, that dude, he paid my car off. Don't be coming back up in here no more, you right? He paid this car off. Don't be coming trying to collect a debt from me that I don't owe you anymore. You follow my example where we're going here? Many of us live like we still have a debt that we owe God. When Jesus is over here saying, listen, I've already paid that for you. I've already paid it. Quit trying to walk in this life thinking you have to earn my righteousness. Instead, I've already given you my righteousness. Now live out that righteousness. You see the difference? Positionally, we're not trying to earn our way to right standing with God. We're trying to walk in that. But here's the thing. It's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this internal battle is all about. You can't pull yourselves up by your bootstraps to live a better life so you can honor God. No, God says, if you want to live a life that's honoring me and be a part of building my kingdom and be filled with my power, then guess what? You have one way of doing it. It's through the Holy Spirit that I've given you. So get this. We have all been given the Holy Spirit for a purpose, and that is to live out God's mission on this earth. Let's keep reading in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Five times in verses 5 through 7, the word mind or think is used. Many of you may not have thought about this before, or, or at least thought about it from this angle, but the majority of the Christian life is lived up here. The battle in our mind is a real battle. God is continually wanting your mind to be submitted to him and being filled with things of him. But guess what? Our flesh Satan, the world, keeps pulling at us day and day in and day out. It's going to continue to pull you towards walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. You with me? So if you think this thing is going to be easy, you're, you're wrong. 
But God says, I've given you my spirit. You see, the contrast between flesh and spirit is so stark in the New Testament. You read it here, you read it in Galatians, you read it in a lot of different places. But there is a big difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Here it says, if you walk in the flesh, flesh is death. Walking in the spirit is life. Walking in the flesh means hostility towards God. Walking in the spirit means freedom in God, right? And here's the thing. This isn't a one-time decision for us to make. This is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, continuous decision we have to make to walk in his freedom, to walk in his power, to submit ourselves to the things of God, to trust the spirit, to walk and work through us. You with me, church? And every single day, listen, it's going to be very easy just to step back over here and to be completely centered on our, on our flesh and what we want again. In fact, I feel like this definition that John Piper gave was really good. I, I would substitute, sometimes this is helpful for me at least, because I like to have things easy for my brain to understand. But I like to substitute the word flesh with self, right? When, when, when my life is focused on Mark, you with me? I know that I'm living in the flesh, When it's all about what I want, what I desire, my will be done, right? And and this happens so easily, right? Most of us can live an entire day and not even realize we're doing it. That's part of Satan's tactics. He wants us living for yourself and not living for God and not even knowing it. But God said this is living in the flesh. You see, he says here, this battle of the mind, if you will, is a daily battle If this is helpful, it's like when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's like God begins to give us a new grid to look at life through, or a new lens, if you will. And as we read his word, and as God changes our hearts and our minds, this lens begins more clear, where you see things the way God sees things. You with me, church? But as long as we walk in the flesh, we don't see things the way God wants us to see things. So when we get this new grid, we begin to see things differently. And every day, God's going to grow us in this, right? Grow us in maturity. But get this, we're responsible for continuing to walk in this new grid or this new way of life. You see, it's not to earn God's righteousness. We've already established that. But instead, when we walk in this new way of life, now we're able to please God. We're able to live out his mission. We're able to walk in his power. Later in Romans 8, we're not going to get there today, But he calls this the power of the resurrection of Jesus lives inside of us. You get that? That's power. Get up from the dead power. So what God says lives in all of us through God. Let's look at verse 8 together. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he what? He does not belong to him. True freedom comes when we receive Christ, but walking in that freedom involves walking in the power of his spirit. If you're a type A type person, you've been taking notes this whole series, and you've been following Pastor Dylan, he's been giving beliefs. Each week we have beliefs. I got two beliefs that we see in this passage I want you guys to write down. Excuse me, belief one. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't have to do anything special. There's not a second time where you have to do something to receive the Spirit. God says when you say yes to Jesus, 
His Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. I know that's mind-boggling. If this is your first time in church, this is your first time online, you probably think we're cuckoo right now, and you need to stick with us, right? Because to think that God can live inside of you, guys, that's a foreign concept, but it's what Jesus says to be true. It's what his word says to be true. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Believe too, but to live as a Christian, you must allow the Holy Spirit to live through you. These are two core beliefs that you have to get if you want to walk with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you if you've received Jesus, but you have to walk in his power if you want to be used by Jesus. Like we read in Romans 6, there's going to be a constant battle for our minds and our hearts, folks. And the consequences are not light because you're stepping back into slavery, into sin, into powerlessness, into bondage is what the scriptures say. But the results of living a life in the Spirit, guys, listen. In verse 6, it says that you receive peace and life. Walking in the Spirit, guys, is what brings us peace and life. When things get rough, when the waves get strong, so to speak, guess what God gives us? Peace and life. You with me, church? And this is noticeable to the world, by the way. If you're not walking in the power of the Spirit, they don't even know you're a Christian. You might tell them you go to church, but they don't care because you live just like they do. But if you're walking in the power of the Spirit and this peace in life, man, it's going to be overflowing. People are going to know. If you're around them more than a few minutes a day, they're going to know something's different about you. That's when God begins to use you. People notice something different from you. When people feel the Spirit's power. They might not even know what it is, but they feel the Spirit's power coming out of you. They don't mean you go around and act weird or do weird stuff. It just means there's something different about you. There's a peace in life that you have that they don't have. You with me? This is winsome. More people than not come to know Jesus because of the influence that people have around them that are Christians. But the same also is true. More people reject the church and reject Christians because Many Christians are living in the flesh. You with me? So this is important. This is top-tier important stuff. This isn't something we can just say, oh, let's worry about tomorrow. No, the mission of God moves forward through the power of the Holy Spirit, church. So God wants us to walk in this new freedom he's given us, and when we don't, when we walk in the power of the flesh, the scriptures say that we are what's called grieving the Spirit. We're walking against what the Spirit wants in our life. Let's pick back up at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Verse 13 says that we have to be led by the Spirit. This means that you are a child of God. In other words, to be saved means that, yes, the Spirit of God is living inside of you, but if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, he calls us to be led by him. We have to submit to him. We have to walk with him. We have to walk in unison with him, if you will. Let me give you an illustration that may help this. We're going to try to make this practical now. I've been speaking mostly theoretical. Now we're going to move to practical, okay? So back when I was in elementary and middle school, one of my favorite things about school, because I didn't like too much about it, one of my favorite things about school was field day. Anybody remember field days? Now, here's what I realized. There's two types of people in the world. You can separate the whole world like this. The people who love field days and the people who hate field days. You with me? <laughs> the people who love field days, 
live for competition, right? The people who hate field days are like, uh-uh, I just want to sit on the sidelines and watch. All right, so I need to poll the audience right quick. How many of you guys fall in the camp of loving field days? You with me? When you were kidding. All right. How many of you guys would say, no, 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 hated field days? Okay, I see. All right. So those of you who'd rather sit on the sidelines and not compete, I'm with you. You may not have realized this, but in field day world, I was kind of a big deal. (laughs) I'll be signing autographs after church, by the way. Three years in a row in middle school, yours truly won the three-legged race. It's not an easy feat. So what's the three-legged race, and where's this going? The three-legged race is when you get partnered with someone, you have to tie your legs together or put a sack on or whatever, and basically you have three legs instead of four. Now, if you've ever seen it, it's hilarious because at least half the contestants are going to bust their face, right? Because they get out of, they get out of uh, sync with each other, and one of them boom, just falls right on the ground. And if one falls, both fall. The only way to win the three-legged race is what? You got to be in perfect sync with each other. That leg's got to be moving together. You with me? If you're running in sync together, you can roll. If you ain't, you're hitting the ground. God says that his spirit lives inside of every single one of us. He wants us to walk in sync with what his Holy Spirit's doing. He wants his Holy Spirit to work in us and live through us and accomplish his mission. You with me, church? But we've got to walk in his power. We've got to walk in unison with him. We've got to put our mind on the things of God, moment by moment, day in and day out, our full dependence on him. And if you're newly walking with Jesus, I get it. You're probably thinking, I don't know how to do that. Listen, let me give you some practical tips that I think will be helpful. And listen, you will grow into this. As we pursue Jesus, as we read his word, as we commune with his church, listen, you're going to grow in this. You're going to understand what it means to set your mind on the things of God and to walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer is a pastor who I have so much respect for. He said this about walking in the power of the Spirit. He said that our, when it comes to our self, we have five selves that we must all die to if we want to live for God. And get this, to the degree that you die to yourself is the degree that you will live in the Spirit. Need to repeat that for somebody? To the degree that you die to yourself is the degree that you will walk in the power of the Spirit. You got two opposite forces there. You with me? So J.D. Greer said there's five selves you have to die to. First of all, your self-will. The desire for your will to be done has got to be put to death. It's got to be God's will that you're seeking after. Number two, self-glory. You want to make yourself known. You want to make yourself look good. Even if you don't admit it, right? Even introverts do this. We want to live for ourselves. God says, if you want to live for me, you have to put that to death. Number three, self-gratification. We want to live to make ourselves feel better, to be comfortable, to gratify our own desires and needs. God says, no, no, no. I've called you to live a life where you bring me gratification. Number four, self-righteousness got to quit trying to think you can put it together enough to to earn your righteousness, to live right before God. God says, no, you have to die to that and live for my righteousness. Receive, believe my righteousness. Number five, self-sufficiency. We think that we can control our own lives. We think that we are keeping it on the track, so to speak, that we've got it all together. But God says, no, you've got to die to your self-sufficiency and you've got to realize that I'm the only sufficient thing that can hold you up. We've got to die to ourselves, church, if you want to live for God. You want to live in the power.
power of the Spirit. This is moment by moment we have to be focused on God, focused on His desires, focused on His mission, focused on the people who need Him. You with me? Trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to move in your life and in theirs. We can't control the Holy Spirit. The scriptures describe him as like a wind. You don't know when it'll blow, but we can walk moment by moment, day by day, trusting in him, following him, dying to ourselves. You with me, church? And as we do, we can't predict what he'll do, but we know he'll, he'll move. You see, many of you, you've been living a life centered on self, living out your fleshly desires. Your life has been marred with sin. Your life has been stuck in the mud with self-effort and trying to keep the commandments of God, whatever your story is. Your life ultimately has been centered on yourself. And if you want to know what God calls us to do, he calls us to be filled with the Spirit, living a life of power in him. A good friend of mine used to tell me this all the time. He used to say, Mark, God can do more in a sneeze than you can do in a lifetime. We need his Spirit, guys. There's nothing in you that can produce what God wants to do. You have to trust in his spirit. We have to pursue him. And this don't mean that we go putting crazy expectations on God because we don't know what God will do in us. Right? God does what he wants to do. But guess what? When we trust and follow him, we know that we'll walk in the peace and life that he has given us. Now, here's one thing as we close I don't want you to miss. This is a teaser for next week. I've been talking about how you walk in the power of the Spirit this whole time, but guess what? Not only is that impossible in your own efforts, but secondly, it's impossible without people around you. We need the church. It's what the church is for. Some of you guys, maybe you're just newly attending Life Spring, and you just see this as a place to attend to so you can get a little encouragement once in a while. Guess what? If you are a Christian, the church is a necessity to, to, to life in Jesus. The church is, is your, your rock that you help stand on, right? We stand on Jesus together, but we stand together with the church. You with me? We need the church. Guys, I want to give you one practical takeaway. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be diving in deeper to this subject in our foundations class. We're going to talk about this in a minute to remind you, but foundations is coming up in a couple of weeks. If you haven't attended our foundations class yet, please sign up for that because we're going to go deeper into what this practically looks like about how to read God's word, how to pray, how to walk with him daily. And I would just highly encourage you to go to that if you haven't. But guys, there is nothing more powerful than a church walking in the power of the spirit. So let's go out today and do so. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we call upon your holy name and your powerful, uh, your powerful spirit to move in our lives. God, we need you today. God, I pray that every person in this room would see their fleshly pull, their pull to rely on their self, to self-gratify, to, to revel in their self-glory. God, I pray that we would run from that, that we would put to death those things that are contrary to your spirit. God, help us to walk in your power. God, help us to walk in the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in your son, Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would lead us, empower us as a church to accomplish your mission to live out your will on this earth, God. Use us to reach the world with the gospel, the good news of your son, God. Salvation for all of mankind to everyone who will believe. In Jesus' name we pray.